This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you. Um, we met on TikTok. And so you're another, I've been meeting a lot of creators on TikTok recently, you know. And I didn't realize the recovery community is so strong there. It's been, you know, pretty eye-opening. It's crazy. I didn't even go with, like, the vision of what I've made. I went in. I am recently starting. um, I started the process at the end of June to get my license back. So I was having such a hard time. The DMV was, like, stringing me along, wasn't telling me what I needed to do. And I was like, I need to document this because... It brought me, I'm so secure in my sobriety, but I looked at my husband. I said, if somebody was like 90, like 1% less secure than me, they would probably relapse from this experience because it was so stressful. It was like, and the way that people were talking to me was so rude. And it was just like one thing after another. And I'm like, if I can get out what I did, because it says like in the thing, it said the retraining course. Okay, fine. Get that. But then it was like alcohol training program. I'm like, what, what is that? Like, and I tried to figure it out and I emailed the person that was handling my case. I called the DMV multiple times. DMV told me to do something that I had to pay for it that wasn't it. So I did that, paid for it. It's useless. So then finally I got the answer I needed, but it took, I just got the answer three weeks ago. So at the end of June is when I contacted them. So it's been a solid four, four and a half months, you know, five months of going back and the DMV. I mean, sobriety or not, throw it out, you know, <laughs> dealing with mm-hmm. the DMV, it, it definitely, you know, people drink and get high way more often when they leave there, whether yeah. they, they work there, <laughs> they work there, or they're going there for the day, you leave the DMV saying, I need to get fucked up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, my yeah. day is ruined. It was, <laughs> it was so insane, and then I went and I just started making, like, talking videos because... I got TikTok like in the beginning of the pandemic and my friend just like sent me videos. I made like one or two videos that were really bad. And then I was like, cause I'm not going to go on and like dance and do all that crazy crap. So I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I started doing that. And in my therapy, I have been, wor- I had been working on being able to talk really freely about like what I went through and not being ashamed. And once like I was to the point where I was over that, I was like, I have to talk about it. Like, I have to tell my story because my story, like, it's kind of confusing because I didn't use AA, tried it, got ridiculed in the meeting, was like, nope, not for me. And then I did it on my own. And I did it like the AA way, you know, laid out by Russell Brand. And it was, I, as, as much as I'm like, 
people think I'm just like, yes, I love that book is my favorite book. I still have it. I literally won't even give it to somebody. I have a sponsee that we're going through the steps with his steps. Yeah. I like, it's the best book. Yeah. I actually, I run a mental health meeting center and we do mental health meetings also besides AA. We do AA, we do NA, we do trauma meetings. We do LGBTQ plus meetings. We do a lot of different meetings. Um, One of them though is a mental health check-in and I actually, we had a regular, she was coming to the meditation meetings that we do and everything. She just recently moved away from the area um, because she was confident enough that they're coming to a lot of meetings with us. She's, you know, not, she's a normie, right? She, she has problems. Um, She was coming here for trauma and coming here for depression and anxiety, not because she's an addict. She doesn't even really drink. Um, she has seen alcoholism in her family growing up, but she went through the steps through that book because I told her to change the word alcohol and drugs and put in there whatever made her life unmanageable. And I think it was like her aunt or some shit, you know what I mean? That was making her life unmanageable. And she went through the steps that way. And she has had a total change in her confidence and how she go about, goes about her life. And it was just like an experiment kind of for me of like, I'm not a normie. I'll never be able to look at the steps as a normie. I look at them with a full appreciation of what they've given me today. But I don't know that scope of a normie looking at steps. So it was oh, yeah. interesting for me to watch her go through it. And then even, I didn't want to sponsor her because man and woman to begin with. But on top of that, I wanted her just to read it herself since it was different and she would come back with questions hey with a step four should i do this or should i and just like and i was giving her suggestions like i would and it was great you know and she felt good enough and they her and her fiance completely uprooted six hours away to try a new life somewhere else oh my god that's awesome and it's been really cool to see you know stuff like that and uh but anyway i think the steps could be used just take whatever everyone always Mm -hmm. Everyone has misconceptions of the steps. Anyone who's never been through the steps already knows the steps are wrong to begin with. When you say that, when they say to you that thing, they say, hey, admitting it's the first step. No, it's not. No, not to me. You know, the unmanageability part of step one is the most important part of step one that people overlook all the time. Oh, admitting it's a, no, that's the first part of the first step. Right. There's a to- there's a semicolon that's so important there because after that, it says my life was unmanageable because some people can drink, they can use, they can eat, they can fuck, they can do whatever, and their life isn't unmanageable. You know, but then there's people like me that anything I do with my life yeah. becomes unmanageable. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's hard because I had drank normally for so many, for a few years. I mean, I didn't really drink. And then I like slowly started drinking. And then after like, you know, a year and a half, two years, it started like it slowly like went uphill. And so it's such a different environment because I can see myself like in this normal place and I can see myself in like this really fucked up place. And I've had, I've had people like my friend, some of my friend's mom, she was like, well, like, I don't really think like you're addicted. Like, I don't really think you're an alcoholic. Like, I'm like, well, I don't want to find out. Like, because the shit that I did was really bad. <laughs> like- and, we'll, and we'll get to there too. You know, I skip around. I don't, I'm not going to rush into, um, 
So what is your sober date? Like how long have you been uh, sober four, for? 4-3-2019, so two years and seven months. Congrats. That Thanks. is, you know, we obviously, any, anybody who's made it through COVID still to this day. <laughs> sober. <laughs> sober, you know, you get an I extra hadn't chip. even hit a year yet. In sober, I think I was, and uh, sober. In COVID, I was at about eight months. You were no, about, no, nine, you were. nine. A, not yeah. 10? 10. Like 10. Like 10, almost 11, I really guess. Really, 11. Just, March 12th yeah. was the shutdown. That yeah. was, I, 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 I quit opiates, you know, and I haven't used an opiate since April 24, 2018. Um, I started drinking again. You know, I had a falling out with AA at one point, and I started drinking again. Not alcoholically, but I drank for yeah. nine months. And so my new sober date is 22920. Um, leap day so I know for a fact because two weeks later COVID shut down everything and that's when I was like shit I need meetings and that's kind of where our meeting center was born out of um so you run that and you run that by yourself like not through somewhere you just my wife yeah my wife yeah um she has MS she just got diagnosed with MS two months ago um so she hasn't been able to contribute as much as she would like to it's only because she literally can't you know, yeah. we're still we're still figuring out her medicine treatments, all that kind of shit, because MS is such a fucking, oh. you know, she can barely walk some days. Yeah. So, you know, she can do what she can do. She gets here. We're trying to find a rhythm. It's, you know, we have a seven year old. We co-parent with her mm-hmm. ex. So it's, you know, a lot of things going on. Yeah. But I, I love coming here every day. I, I drop him off at school. Then I come here. I run an AA meeting at nine. Then I hop on some podcast or TikTok or whatever, you know, the lives. Because that's how I met you. You were doing that live yeah. earlier. Yeah. So you got sober. What was going on with you March of 2019 that you were like April well, 2019? So, so, a, so a lot of it and a lot of people ask me, uh, like one guy that I've had follow me since like the beginning always says to me, if my if my situation was different, what happened? So I got two DUIs pretty close to each other. Um, I got one in, I guess not that close, May of 2018 and January of 2019 was my third. So three in six, seven months. Nope. So two, two in like the six, seven months. The other one was like a year and a half before that. So it was a far distance. Um, so I got my third and it was, it's mandatory jail time when you get your third. So I went to jail for four months and my sober day is the day I went to jail. Okay. So that was after your third one. Yeah. Did, did you surrender to go to jail? Did you, I did. So I was on probation. Um, and he was like, okay, it's going to take a while. He goes, I'm going to give you some more time. He goes, I'm just going to delay the process. Um, when I got the second one, he was like, I'm not going to violate you. And I was like, all right. And then um, when I got my third one, he was like, okay, I just, you know, just let me know or whatever. And um, I kind of just strolled through and was able to like, kind of like mentally prepare myself, if that makes sense. And was able to kind of get some stuff in order to tell a few people. And then basically I went in, I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I was still going through court at the time. So um, it it was just, it was crazy because I, I didn't know if I'd be there six months. I didn't know if I'd be there eight months. I didn't know if they would let them run together, which they did. So it was just a completely different experience and I wasn't mandated to do anything when I was done except, you know, not drink. Um, my probation when I got out was very, like, I didn't even have to report. Like it was very mild. Um, but they'd seen me a couple of times and I went through a, 
I guess a treatment pro place to have an evaluation. And once evaluation came back, like she doesn't need anything. And it was months after, like I had gotten out in August, they did the evaluation in like December. So I had so much more sober time by the time I got there. So just even my way of thinking was so different at that time. And in her report, she writes, I doubt this girl will ever drink again. And that made me feel like good. Cause I recently just saw the report cause I gave that to DMV. So it was yeah. like, it was like kind of nice to see that, especially so much further away from where I was at that time. Yeah. Now we could. So why did AA, what did you have? Because if you were going into, so, cause I had a thing with them, obviously, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where I drank over it, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not blaming them. It's part right. of my story. You know, I own the fact that I drank over my resentment and I know yep. that resentment. And I, the reason I talk about it so much is because it's so common. It's so common that we hurt ourselves over resentments against somebody else. Like, I really don't know. Like, and I was just in like such a different place at this moment. Like I have a husband who's also sober. He's going to be two years in December. So like, it's, there's such a different unit I have because I have that. I have another sober friend. So like, I, I would know to reach out before I would do anything dumb. And for me, as soon as I think about alcohol, I flash back to everything I did. I flash back to jail. I flash back to getting arrested. I flash back to like just being embarrassed because I got myself here and I got myself, you know, into this addiction. And with those memories, it stops anything for me. So now my question is, when did this all start? When um, my first DUI your... was March 2015. So was drinking always your thing now? Yep, I've never done any kind of drugs. Okay, so okay, so you're what I call a real deal alcoholic, like you know, alcohol was your down, you know what I mean? There's a lot of us that I'm an alcoholic, but alcohol led me to pills where I spiraled, if that makes sense. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, sense. so alcohol was a problem for me. I was drinking alcoholically, but I would say I was more of a pill addict than anything, you know, spiraling wise. Right. So when did you first start getting into drinking? Was it your teenage years or were you a late bloomer? No, I was really careful. My dad was an alcoholic when I was um, very little and don't remember any of it. I was like a baby. And um, and my mom's brother was a severe alcoholic and ended up dying from it. So I knew on both sides there was this. So I was so careful, like all the time, like I didn't drink before I turned 21. I just refused even on my 21st birthday, like didn't get drunk. I didn't get drunk until I started my addiction. Wow. So you really were a late bloomer. Like you knew what could have, oh. could, you, you knew what, <laughs> you knew what could, she wasn't talking to me, everybody. She was talking yeah. to her dog. <laughs> you, you knew what could happen with alcohol. So you stayed away yeah. and then you, you finally did drink you mm -hmm. took the peer pressure. I'm sure there was peer pressure for you to try drinking. Yep. I, I can only imagine if you're 21, 22 and still not drinking, your friends, especially if you're a college person, your friends are saying, Ashley, come on, you, yeah. you're you going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Just drink yep. with us. Just because your mom did that or your uncle or your dad or whatever, that's them. That's not you. You can drink with us and you're how how old are you when you finally was that what happened when you finally broke yeah. down and we're like all right i'll try um, drinking i would drink like here and there like my ex-husband and i would go out to dinner and have like not even a full glass of wine like i wouldn't finish it um at a party we'd have like i'd have like a beer 
what started it was I was in the restaurant business. That was what I did as a job. And I was, had just gotten divorced. I was with somebody after I got separated, I dated somebody. So I didn't deal with those emotions. I just kind of like let them coast down. And did you we get married to your high school sweetheart or something? Like you got that's very young, really apparently. young, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we just met regular, like normally. Um, and it was just Was fun. he older? He was. So okay, I've only okay. dated people older than me, yeah. Okay, because usually that those are the two circumstances where a girl gets married, in my opinion, under twenty-five. Yeah. Is they're never dating somebody their age. And if they are, it's because they met in high school. Yep. And they've been together for that long, and that's why they're getting married under 25. Or the other reason is the woman meets the man. He's in his 30s, and he's ready to settle and have kids. Yep. She's like, whatever, I want to have a family, and we'll get married and start this now. And yep. you get married early. So those are the yep. two main reasons that I see, you know, just from, I don't know, fucking yep. talking to people. So now you get divorced because obviously it's not working. Yeah. And now, he was drinking. Did he have... I, and you don't have, so I'm not saying you're like blaming drink. him. He didn't drink. Okay. He you drank know what like I'm a little at. more than me, but like not inappropriately. He okay. barely you drank. You see where I'm like, driving. Okay. Yeah. So it didn't have like anything to do with that really. Um, But he, um, we go pushed everything down. That's just what I did like all my life, I feel like. And then it just like slowly came to the surface. And then once I like started, I just, once I got like, I wouldn't even say like right away, but, and it was a slow trickle. Even after that first DUI, like I drank pretty responsibly for a while. Like I wasn't even in my addiction when I got that. I just made a stupid decision, you know? So it was just some shitty circumstances. Like I was working at this restaurant, it all cycles around me in the restaurant business. I had a very stressful job. I was a restaurant manager. So yeah, yeah, I get it. And then plus that, that type of industry. That type of industry, whenever like you um you get done a shift, it's like it's known that you're all gonna go to the bar together mm-hmm. and bitch about your day together. Or you're gonna go to someone's house that works there, mm-hmm. usually a busboy that smokes a lot of weed. Um <laughs> you go yep. to someone's house that works there and you throw a party and you drink until three o'clock in the morning, you pass out on the couch. I've seen waiting. I've lived waiting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived that life. You know, yeah. that was 18, 19. Shit, I was 16 busting tables and getting drunk and high with people working there. So, like, I get that shit for, like, <laughs> for real. So, you keep saying in your addiction, though. So, is there a point where you see when, in retrospect, of your drinking going from, I'm drinking, to, like, this is a problem? Yeah, it was... I mean, I had multiple times thought about that. Ooh, sorry. Hang on. What I just do? Okay. I've never used this before, so. No, it's fine. Everything's still fine uh, on my end, so. Um, so I had gone from drinking, like, responsibly, not getting really, like, too buzzed too often to, like, I no- started noticing a pattern. So I started noticing a pattern so that I would, like, kind of back off a little bit. And I was a binge drinker, so I wouldn't drink every day. So it was like, you know, and, but then when I would start drinking, it's like, I wouldn't stop until I was like, all right, I'm good. Like go home. And then it was just like, everything I did was destructive. Everything. I mean, I also had a friend at the time who drank, was in like a crazy, like drinking period of her life. We were the same age and we drank together a lot. 
So like that wasn't really the best situation either. And then it just like spiraled out of control where, you know, it was more, more than not, I was getting drunk, you know, and then I was kind of like, all right, maybe like I have kind of a problem. And then like kind of started affecting my career. So I'm like, okay. And it still wasn't just like, I still thought I was normal, but like a part of me was like, oh, maybe I have a problem. But it was such a small part that it wasn't just like, okay, I should stop. Like, what's going on? And a lot of people didn't really know in the beginning. I kept a lot of people didn't know in general, only really people who like were around me a decent amount of time. And then it just got worse. And I just after that first UI, I literally never got my license back. I just drove. So I was just I was also just committing crimes like constantly, but like such a minuscule amount of crimes, but still. Yeah. And you know, and I mean, I'm thankful I didn't hurt anybody myself. Like that that could have completely changed the course of my life, but it's just I just didn't do responsible things. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely you were definitely driving without a license a couple times there. Years. <laughs> like yeah. years. And it was in my mind, I was just like, Oh, it's too expensive. Like it really wasn't. Like, I mean, I made good money. I was running a restaurant. Like it wasn't yeah. like I wasn't making like, I wasn't, you know, so it, so it was just, you know, one thing after another, and then it started affecting my job. And then it was like, and then I, then I like kind of tapered back a little bit because I was like, okay, I need to like not do this. And then I was like good for a couple months. And then it was just like back just down like this rabbit hole. Yep. Now, when did you meet your husband? You're both sober. Did you guys meet in sobriety? Um, we were both already sober. So he oh, was okay. six months sober and I was a little over a year. I was like almost a year and a half. Okay. And true to your fashion, you're just like, when you know, you know, and I'll settle down quickly. Um, not, it didn't really work out like that. Um, it was completely different than with my ex-husband. It just, because of what we both went through it was just a completely different environment between the two of us. Like it was such a healthy, wholesome connection of a relationship that it was insane. So we, we met through a mutual friend um, and we had texted like the day before and, you know, or, like two days before and trying to figure something out. And my husband was like pretty quick. He's like, Hey, do you want to go for a hike on Sunday? So I was like, Oh, all right. Like whatever. And because my friend knew him, I absolutely trusted him. I was like, he's not going to do anything, you know, really crazy. So we had texted the whole day before that, like the entire day, just like really communicating with each other. And when we met, we were together for nine hours. And it was just, like, both of us like knew, like it was like, it was crazy. And not at first, like, you know, you look back on it and you're like, oh man. So we went on a nine mile hike where we just talked about our stories and he was like really open and honest with me. And I was really open and honest with him. And then we went, you know, did a couple other things. We went to lunch and then we like sat and like, um, like a, a green and like just had a conversation. He brought me home and he called his family and was like, I'm going to marry this girl. Like this is my wife. And from that day, he's like, I just knew. And so the issue in what was happening, I lived an hour away. I don't drive. So that was getting really hectic because I would come here for four days. This is during COVID, so I wasn't working. So I would come here for three or four days and then go back home for three three days and then come back. And I was getting ready. So the friend that hooked us up lived like five or ten minutes from where he lived. So her and I were getting ready to kind of like merge together. 
and he had gone on a vacation and he had taken like crazy like it was like 14 days or something we were together consecutively for 14 days and it like towards the end of it he was like I'm literally going to ask you to move in with me in a month. It doesn't make sense for you to move with somebody else. So we moved in with each other. And that was like a make or break it because we had both, he'd been single for 16 years. And I had been not wanting anything to do with men for like five. And when we merged together, it was crazy because we had these people in our space and we'd never had that before. So it was like a learning curve. And we joke and we say, if it was anybody else, they would have broken up. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I have a very similar story. You know, my wife and I met on, on Tinder, um, but we were an hour away and she was a month out of, she had just left her ex-husband after nine years, a month ago at that time and was on Tinder. You know what I mean? Cause just fresh new, she had, she had to get her own apartment because you know, narcissists are lovely. Yeah. So she had to get her own oh, place yeah. when she left them and all that, even though they have a kid. Either way, so she has her own place. She's on Tinder. I am on Tinder not looking for a relationship because I am 11 months sober at the time. And I am strict with my program. You are not, I am not going to be serious in a relationship until I have at least a year. So one of the first things I always ask somebody when I met them on there was, what are you looking for? Because I'm going to get it out of the way. Like, I'm just looking to meet people and have fun. I'm sober. It, I'm still fun, though. It is what it is. You know, whatever. And I was meeting people. This episode you know. is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Um, and then I, when I met her, I said, what are you looking for? She said, friends, primarily with benefits. I said, perfect. Me too. And then we talked for I swear we texted for three days straight, you know, and then we met and within the first hour of meeting, we said, I love you at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, when I came back from, I went to LA for my one year sober anniversary. You know, I live in Pennsylvania. I got sober in Los Angeles and I wanted to celebrate my sobriety anniversary with those people at my rehab in LA where my sober friends were. So I flew out there and when I came back, I proposed to her. So we had, we have been together since. Um, but the thing is though, like I was a very independent person, you know, she was my second relationship of my life at 32 years old, you know, really third relationship. If you count pills, cause I do, Yeah, I, I count pills as my first relationship. I count my fiance, that, you know, she committed suicide in 2015. We were best friends growing up. 
And then, so that was my first real relationship was her, Colleen. And that didn't even end with a breakup. That I don't really have any exes. Right. That ended with suicide. So, like, you know, and then Mikey, her and I have been together. And, um, but yeah, I was just really adamant about, like, I don't want to be serious because I am so comfortable alone. A lot of people are not comfortable alone. I was and so comfortable. I am so content. My mom has said since I was a baby, you know, she would put me in front of the TV or whatever. She wouldn't hear a peep from me for hours. You know, when she had my brother, she was like in culture shock because my brother needed attention, wanted attention from her at all times. And I'm a two, three-year-old who was, she doesn't hear a peep from for hours on end. I want to be left alone. You know what I mean? So the reason my wife and I work, and I say this all the time, is because I can be exactly who I am alone as I am with her, which is important and something that I never even took stock in when looking for potential partners is my comfortability. I didn't even realize that I didn't like being with other people because I wasn't able to be comfortable around them being myself. And then once I met her and I found out like, oh my God, I feel completely comfortable like I'm alone, but I'm not. This is what I needed and been happy as shit since, you know, we've been together almost three years and we had the same sober date. She quit drinking when I did, you know, and we haven't had a drop since then. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think it's possible to fall in love quickly, Be especially how old were you when you met him? 32, three. It's not been that long. Yeah, We've been exactly. together almost a year and a half. Oh, so you, you, you're my, no. well, you're my age. Yeah. In June, it'll be two years. So it's not that long. We got married on our anniversary. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we, um, we got married last November. It's only because that's when. We literally picked up her divorce papers from her lawyer and walked across the street to the courthouse yeah. and got our marriage certificate. Yeah. So we got married as soon as we could. My best friend um, got ordained by the Church of Dudism and drove up, drove up and married us in our living room. I love it. And it was perfect. You know, fucking thirty dollar Domino's order was the cheapest wedding you can have. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah. My my dad was very happy. Because he, he's got my brothers and my sister's weddings to deal with. He's like, yeah, I'm very happy you got married yeah. the way you did. <laughs> um, so how is it then? I know how it is for us. How is it being in a sober relationship when you didn't get high together, but you're sober together? It is different, um, but it's real. And I mean that in the best way. Like, I can be raw and honest with him and I'm so comfortable. I have like severe, I have like anxiety pretty bad and he makes me so safe. Like I feel so comfortable, so safe. So it's just literally a conversation. Like I can tell him anything I can tell him, you know, and through the course, like you have to tell certain things. It's just what happens. And every time I told him something, like he never judged me. He never in that like judgment free zone makes me feel so safe going to somebody. So it's we have an open door policy. It's if either of us crave it, like he didn't stop. Like, I feel like I was going to lose everything. Like he wasn't at that place. He definitely was drinking a lot, but he was drinking because he was lonely. Like that's literally what he says. Like all his friends tell, like, tell me like he drank because he, he didn't do anything. He was just, he had was in a relationship with his kid's mom. It didn't work out. And he was single from that time on. 
like he never got into a serious relationship. He had his two sons and he was just so focused on them and he didn't think about himself. And that's how he is just as a person. Like he's not a selfish person. So he got himself to this point and then he stopped and he did not intend to stop forever. So that's like the biggest part in that for me for a while, I felt a little uneasy about that because I'm like, okay, well like I'm never drinking again, like never. And it's, I'm very caught, like I can be around it and stuff, but I have my limits. So like, I don't personally think I would have ever been able to be in a relationship with somebody who drank or who could drink, if that makes sense. So like, I like that that's how it is. Um, and we have an open door policy. He has told me like, if he ever thinks about drinking again, he would come to me and let me know. Obviously if I like am craving it or do something like that, if anything goes on, like I do talk to him about it. He knows how we talked about me going on social media like that. Cause I felt like that was a respectful thing to do just because like, he's my husband. I'm going to be out there in this crazy app. So it's like, I didn't want to go on there and have him be like, and in the beginning it was crazy. Cause once when I was trying to get to the thousand, so I could go live, I was on my phone so much because you know, it's like everybody commenting. I wanted to comment back and like, I wanted to be so present and it was like, he just kind of like looked at me and he was like, I'm right here. <laughs> like, you know, so that was really difficult, but it is, there's a very like in between. And I talk about this a lot, like not NA beverages as like seltzer, NA beverages as like a beverage that they have made from alcohol, but remove that alcohol. And like, and I wanted to do, I loved wine and never got drunk off of wine. So I, I said to him, I'm like, I really want to try non-alcoholic wine. And I hadn't really talked to anyone else about it, especially anybody in sobriety. I was just like, my, I knew that the one sober friend I've had for the longest, he did drink O'Doul's when he had stopped. So, and then it just like tapered off in time. He like only drinks like super social settings, um, like really social settings. So my husband, like he didn't really give me his real opinion. He like kept asking me why. And then one day we're in the car and he goes, I'm afraid you're going to relapse. And that's, and that's all I needed for him to say. And I was like, all right, I respect you. Yep, we're good. And I talked to, and then later on, I did an episode in my live where one person said, I can do it in social settings and I'm fine. And another person said, I relapse. And that made me terrified. I was I can, like, I can totally see that. You know what I mean? Just be, it's almost like you're, you're getting the taste, but not the effects. So as addicts and alcoholics, what do we do? We sit there and taste things and say, where the fuck are the effects? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, give me the good shit. I know what comes after this. Yep. You know, so he was just really scared. And he's like, I don't mind if you have something that's 100% alcohol removed, but that isn't, doesn't taste like alcohol. Like if, so there's these new things out that my friend sent me that it just has like different um, spices in it. So it's like um, turmeric and like it's a seltzer, but there's like turmeric in it. And it's not like a removed substance. It just tastes like if you're drinking seltzer, it just has all these different flavors in there. So like something like that, he's like, yep, I'm fine with that. Cause we drink like that. We drink so much seltzer. It's ridiculous. Like we need one of those machines. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how much seltzer we drink. And like, I'm super picky with it. So it's just, and you need to respect those boundaries. Like, that's like a thing like he's like look this is what I think and this is where I'm at and and like if he started drinking again like if he decided that's what he wanted to do 
I don't think he's going to, but if he did, I would just be like, just don't do it around me and don't come home drunk. Like, don't come home like that. Like, cause these are my limits. Like with everybody, I set these boundaries. Like I set these boundaries with my siblings. Cause yeah. one of my brothers is, is actively an alcoholic and the other three can drink very normally. And they ask me like, before they take, before they take a sip, anything, they're like, is it okay if I drink? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're good. Were you the only girl out of four? Yeah. I'm the oldest too. Oh, and you're the oldest. Ugh. Double lamb. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm the oldest of three, but there's a mixture. It's my brother's three years younger, my sister's nine years younger, and I'm the only one that's an alcoholic. You know, my brother can, my brother can outdrink me even in my prime of my drinking, because as we both know, the amount you drink isn't what makes you an alcoholic. It's why you drink that makes you mm-hmm. an alcoholic. People get so confused by that. And they even get sometimes butthurt. You know, I've had friends, you know, friends. um, I don't talk to them anymore. But early in sobriety, when I came back from rehab, say to me, you're not an alcoholic. I can out drink you. And I'm not an alcoholic. It's like, well, you know, it's not about that. It's not about how much we can Mm -hmm. drink. It's about why I drank. You know, it literally says it in a lot of literature in a lot, not just N.A. or A.A. It's not what, you know, why we or how much we drank is why. It's not why we use or how much we used. It's why we don't care what your connections were on the outside. We don't, you know what I mean? All that shit. That, that is MA. I always get them confused because I do, <laughs> do both of them. So actually speaking of that, why? So when did you try AA in your sobriety? Was it when you got out of jail or were you going yeah. to the meetings that, you know? No. So in jail, it was on like a major waiting list and it was NA. And I just, they said there was a space. I could finally go like three weeks before I was going to leave. And I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'll do this. I'll just figure it out when I get home. And it wasn't even on my list of things to do. Like I remember my sister-in-law, you know, messaging me and asking me about it. I'm like, I just don't feel it right now. Like maybe I'll go to a meeting. Maybe I won't. And I did go to a meeting and it was the first meeting. I just kind of sat observed and I was kind of like, all right. And then the second meeting I went to, um, I like, they asked me to speak. So I spoke. And, um, I probably left jail out of my story. I, I don't even remember. And the guy was like, there's no way that you did this without AA for the last six months. And I'm like, and I was like five and a half months sober or something. So, um, so, and then this guy just like ridiculed me. Like he just kept going on and on and on. And there's this other guy in the meeting who was around my age. Cause all of them were much older. And I go into like the other room to like kind of just like go to the bathroom before because I walked 45 minutes to the meeting and then walked 45 minutes home. So I was like, you know, just kind of taking it all in. It takes me a while to process things, especially in my early addiction. It would take me, I would give myself a lot of time. And he came up to me and he goes, whatever way you're sober is the way that's your way. And I really respected that. And I was like, you know, thanks for coming in here. And he just wanted to check and make sure like I was okay. And I left and I was like, I'm never going back in there again. And I got to figure out how to do this on my own. And I, I love to read. So the um, next day I went to Barnes and Noble and I was like, all right, what am I going to do? I had my roommate had got me a gift card like the Christmas before. So I was like, all right, what am I going to do? I went like right to the area and I had heard about his book. And I was like, I need to, I bought his book and then Tiffany Jenkins book. And I read them, I read Tiffany's first because it wasn't like a step work book. And then I read his book and his book, I did the book and the podcast together. 
um, where he was promoting the book at the time because the book had like just came out. So he was doing both of those together. So I listened to them. So when I was in my four and five steps took the longest for me. And when I was in those steps and kind of in like that standstill time, I really listened to the podcast a lot more because I was like, I need to like keep it going and keep myself, you know, active in that. And, and I was able, his book breaks it down in such a way that you're just able to like see so many things. And I had, um, realized a lot of things already when I was in jail, I sent like my dad an amends letter before, like I even did any of the steps, you know, and there were, you know, certain people I had reached out to. And then when I came home, certain people contacted me and whatever, I was very like, I, I don't want to say isolated because that's like the wrong word. I did let certain people in, but there's certain people I did not want to talk to. And that was for myself. That was my boundary. And I'm like, until I'm ready, like I can't do it. And I did everything through that book. And then yeah. I did do recently, like I said, somebody on the live was like, I think like you sound like, like I definitely was like it, the experience makes me really upset. The fact that nobody, like the leader of the meeting didn't say anything to this guy. Didn't come like be like, Hey, like, you know, this isn't like how this is supposed to go. Like, please come back, whatever. And, um, and you know, it was just super, like super judgment zone. Like they don't know what happened to me. Like they didn't know that obviously I was in jail and that's, you know, how I got sober, like I went to jail, like, but people don't understand it is 1000% easier to use anything in jail than it is on the outside. 1000% easier. So I remember when I was like talking to the exit lady, she was like, she was like, okay, so you've been, you know, sober the whole time you've been in jail and you know, like what's your date or whatever. So I told her and I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know that I really count this as four months. I feel like I should count like when I go home. And she's like, if you wanted to, you would have used 100%. And, you know, and that just gave me a different kind of look at it. And it kind of changed the way I was thinking. And there's people that have been on my show that have straight up said, like, I didn't drink or use when I was in jail because it wasn't fun for me. And then I would get out of jail and I would get high and drunk again. So, you know, if you wanted to, you would have. And... I just need to apologize for that guy, you know, because I've seen that guy. I've seen that guy in all the meetings. Not all of them. Every the thing is, I don't I don't want you to correlate that with AA. You know what I mean? You can correlate that with him and his program. Yeah. You know, because AA as a whole is an amazing thing and what it does for people. It's the people in certain groups that ruin it for people. You know, luckily for you, you're in a headspace that you walked out of that meeting and you're just like, I'm going to stay sober, though. Let me figure yeah. this out. There is a lot of people that could have walked out of that meeting saying, fuck it, I'm not sober anyway. I might as well go get drunk. No one believes me, you know, and right. they go drink over it. So, you know, kudos to you for being able to walk out of there and say, OK, that's not for me, but I, I can find something that is for me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, because I do think it is an important, it's an important <laughs> thing as long as it's being utilized the right way. You know, they had a problem with me because I use cannabis, yep. you know, and they don't like that. So, you know, I drank over it eventually. I didn't get high with pills luckily, but you know, <clears throat> it, it almost happened. So, you know, 
I'm I'm glad it didn't happen for you. So what are you you have a new podcast coming out soon. That's the other thing I want to talk to you about. Yeah, so um I've been thinking about doing this for a while. So the whole reason why I actually wanted to go live was I was under the impression I couldn't just start one by myself. I was like, okay, so I want to write a book, so I'm gonna do that. And then when I write the book, I'm gonna get this following and then I'll be able to like somebody will want me to do a podcast. Like I didn't have enough information about it and then um, a couple of people were like, you can totally do it by yourself. Like this one girl, she's on Instagram. I follow her and her and I communicate a lot. And she was like, I literally did it by myself on Spotify. Like you don't need anybody to do it. And with my lives, it gets frustrating because like, if I have like a specific topic, people pop in and out. Like, so yeah. you'll start, you'll start talking and then you'll get to a point where like, I have to repeat myself because it's like, okay, these new people are coming in wondering what am I talking about? So I had, I had asked everybody in one of the ones that I had like a majority, a lot of people in, and they were like, I think you should do a podcast. Like we would definitely enjoy it. And I think it would be easier for me to talk about certain things. Um, I don't just talk about my sobriety. I mean, I talk about things I had to do once I was in sobriety, like mental health, like I have anxiety really bad, you know, like boundaries that I had to set in order. And I still have to set them triggers that I didn't even know I had, you know, and that can happen with like anybody. I have so many people that follow me and communicate with me that are are normal people like yeah. and that's the crazy part about it is they don't even have or like one woman like her son is you know he's recovering so like she gets so much from me like from a different perspective inside but also people are just like so proud like oh wow she's been sober a really long time and she did it on her own like and I don't if somebody contacted me and was like I can't stop I'd be like you need to go to a meeting right now that is what I tell them. And people get so confused because they're like, but you didn't do meetings. I said, just because what happened to me put me on a different path doesn't mean that like, I don't want, I'm going to tell somebody, no, that's crap. Don't do that. I don't think that I yeah. did. Those steps in Russell Brand's book are from the program he did. Yeah. Like that's the point. That's the point. And I tell people, I 100% think everybody who's in sobriety has to do the steps at some point in time. They have to. And somebody was like on TikTok. Like promoting they didn't do AA, didn't do the steps, just stopped, and they're fine, and they're all these other things. And it's like, okay, like, okay, if you think so, but it's like, you yeah, need to I don't do know if you work. saw my, I don't know if you saw my eye roll, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, drugs and alcohol were not our problem, you know. And as soon as you know, we can look back at our experiences with them, we can, with an honest look and honest eyes, and not just tell ourselves what we want to fucking hear. When you look back at your using and drinking, your problem wasn't your using and your drinking. It was why you were using and why you were drinking. You were using them as solutions to real life problems that are still going to exist with or without alcohol. Now, you can be a miserable son of a bitch and be sober and abstinent. I'll call it abstinent. I won't even call it sober. If you, you can be abstinent from drugs, you can be abstinent from alcohol and deal with real life shit, but you're going to be miserable unless you work the steps and find ways to be able to process the real life stuff that's still going to happen. So I call that emotional <clears throat> recovery because I physically hear people and like can see people like in different situations where they don't drink, but they're not emotionally sober. They didn't. There is a re there is a why, and I ask a series of questions to people when they like. A lot of people contact me about emotional recovery, and um, and I ask a series of questions. I'm not like, why did you drink? Because somebody's gonna be like, I I, I liked. It. 
So I'm just like, okay. And I ask like just pinpoint questions because every person I've talked to has like, and it's everything is different and every, every experience is different. Somebody has a traumatic experience and somebody doesn't know how to, in a healthy way, cope. And those two things together is like pretty much kind of where my sobriety, like how I became addicted and why I, I liked the high from drinking. Yep. And, and that's just what I chose. You know, I didn't choose to go down another path for my own personal reasons. Like, I mean, I barely even take medication. So it's just, that was what was easy for me. And once I got, once I knew I have a very active mind and once I was like, Ooh, I'm not thinking right now. Like, Oh, this is great. And I had a stressful job. So I'm like, all I wanted to do was like, not think. And it pushed down everything else. But I also didn't ever tell anybody like how I actually felt. So when I would drink, whoever I was mad at, if they even attempted to reach out to me, it would be like a really bad experience. And it was just because those people were crossing so many boundaries with me, but I didn't in a healthy way know how to set them. So it was just like this back and forth. And it was just a really bad thing. Like I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew I should have gotten my license back and I knew I, I shouldn't get in a car and drink and drive. And I like go back with myself and I'm like, Oh, I wonder if like I did just get my license back and put that breathalyzer in my car, what would have happened? But I didn't start healing until I became sober. Yep. And, and that's, you know, there's people that come into meetings all the time and they'll be nine months without a drink, but they still haven't hit their bottom yet. In my opinion, you know, in my opinion, because we all have different opinions in this, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's the point. My opinion is we all have the same bottom. And our bottom is the day that we surrender to some kind of program, some kind of different way to do this shit. You know, your bottom could have been, oh, no, I got arrested. That was my bottom. I went to jail, JD. That was my bottom. It's like, no, that was a speed bump that got you. That wasn't my bottom. People you know, ask me that. People ask me that all the time when they hear my story. They're like, that must have been your bottom. And I'm like, nope. No. That wasn't me, it. Because I kept getting arrested like over and over. Like I knew I was going to go to jail eventually. Yeah. Like I can't. I'm not that stealthy. Like I can't, you know, get through this. The bottom, the bottom is literally that. Once you hit that, there is no more going down. Right. So to me, theoretically, the only bottom is when we start climbing back up again. That's when you're really at your bottom is when you start climbing up and it's not going down anymore. And that elevator stopped going down for me the day that I said, hey, will you be my sponsor? Mm-hmm. Will you help me through the steps? I don't know what I'm doing. That that was me not knowing shit and asking for help because I wanted to do things differently. That was my bottom. I was three weeks sober, you know, two, three weeks sober. So just you can be, you know, really like I could pass a drug test. I was sober, but I wasn't emotionally starting so- being sober until I started working on myself and figured, mm-hmm. like you said, the drinking thing. If you were to ask me in my drinking, you know, when, why do you drink? I'm like, cause I like it. I like the taste and I like the way it makes me feel. But really in retrospect, when I did look back at my using and my drinking, the whys, you know, the where's the hows all that I started drinking alcoholically at 12 years old and it was, you know, 11. I had my first drink 12. Somebody I knew died, you know, it was the first person I knew in my life that died. He was hit by a car and that caused me in my looking back. I literally said to my best friend, we could drink and we're going to feel better, man. 
mm-hmm. you know, because it was a learned behavior, you know, that I taught myself from the my first experience. So really, and then I started looking back more. It's like, well, you know what? Every time I had a bad day, I would say that I'm drinking because my day was bad. Or if I had a good day, I would say I'm drinking because my day was good. I always found a reason to drink and have a reason to drink. And that's probably not a normal thing. No. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't, I didn't see it, see it then. You know, I saw it looking back. And I think that the alcohol itself can be really tricky when looking back on it, when looking back on your history with drinking and trying to pinpoint certain things. It's like, was that for fun or was that trying to be, was I trying to harm myself? You know, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, you shoot dope every day, four times a day. You have a fucking problem, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're putting needles in you, but you can drink for four beers a day. You can drink four bottles of wine a day. You can drink all this and then you're just cool because you can drink a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not cool. It's not no. attractive. Now, the other thing is too, we're coming into the holidays now and the rates spike like a third, 33%, you know, from Thanksgiving to New Year's for relapses. And that's relapses that are reported, not relapses like, of people that are relapsing, not saying shit about it. Right. So really, that number is probably higher. Let's be real. So you know, how do you and your husband, you know, get through the holidays when it's such a like, you know, an acceptable thing to be like, oh, Thanksgiving, here's the drinks, you know, all out on the table, everyone's drinking wine, and you got the, you know, cheers and all that shit. Christmas, New Year, like, mm-hmm. what do you do? in your do you have something in your mind like for me it's a mindset i just got to mm-hmm. be able to like i'm a i'm a comedian i laugh at everybody you know i find ways to make it funny to watch drunks now because it's the only way i can make it more and more unappealing for myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if i'm laughing at a bunch of drunks all night i'll never want to be the drunk that gets laughed at again so and my nickname was mess in high school so like i've been laughed at yeah. You know, so what do you guys do to be able to like go and so do the fucking holidays? But yeah, sober? so it's pr- so it's definitely a mindset for both of us, but we both are comfortable around it, and it's mine is just because I was that's what I did as a job. Like I didn't really have a choice, and I needed to be around it. And once I started my emotional recovery, I haven't craved it since. Do I think about it? Yeah. But when I think about it, I also think about the shit I did and that just shuts me off. So for us, we have a different dynamic because so like my family drinks, um, three of my brothers can drink very well. Don't get like sloppy. Don't get crazy. Um, I put a boundary on all of them. They know that the second that they they go crazy, I'm out. And that's one thing my husband and I both do when we're at that point. We look at each other. and We're like, OK, we're, we, we got to go. When and the beer pong's so, being taken out and the flip cup's yeah, being taken out, like, yeah. I can't be part of it. They're like, come on, flip water yeah. in your cup, play flip yeah. cup. Nope, I can't even. And, they, and they'll try, and, and they're being innocent. They don't know. Like yeah. my sister, you know, and brother, like Friendsgivings and all that kind of shit. That's what happens. You get into these social, you know, things where it's like, oh, well, they're all for me just by beer pong with water or flip cup with water. It's fine. And it's not. It's the behavior it's, you know, I start getting, you start doing it. And then what happens to the cup? It gets mixed in with the beer. Do you get a little bit of a taste on it? It's oh. not, it's not, oh. you know, and and, that, and I haven't even done it. It's just something I feared, 
of the sensation of craving is so real to me that it's a tasting. And once you taste it, it, I can be off, you know, very easily. I've seen it happen with myself with drinking before. That's why I drank a bottle of Jack that caused me to want to quit again, you know, because it started out innocent again. You know, the first time I drank again, when I relapsed was I bought a six pack and I poured two out and I drank the other four, you know, out of spite of AA saying I would never be able to throw out a drink. You know, I have to finish them all. So I would spitefully pour some out. And then eventually, you know, by the time February rolls around nine months later, I drank a whole bottle of Jack in one night. That was never something I wanted to do in my drinking normally phase. So as soon as that happened, you know, I basically had a bunch of choices. It was either continue drinking to take away the hangover, sit with the hangover and never drink again, or go and buy drugs and take the hangover away within a minute. I chose to never drink again. And look, you know, I I was not, because that's how I got rid of hangovers before was get high, you know. And I, I think knowing your boundaries is so important going into the holidays, knowing the things you can and can't do, the places yeah. you can and can't go. There is important to be self-aware and to be honest with yourself. Like when your subconscious talks to you, when you're at a holiday party, probably listen to it. Yeah. You know, because and we have in like my husband, we, he has a whole group of friends that still drink. And he can. He's like, you know, I can be around it. He won't go in the liquor store. Cannot go inside a liquor store. Because he's like, that's, he went inside. Like, for me, I think it was like a mix. For him, it was, that's the only way he would get drunk, you know? For me, it was, okay, I was like really socially into it at first. And then I had started to kind of do it at home. So it was, but I more drank outside of home. And so for him, it's just like a different situation. He was, last year, he was bringing his son on New Year's Eve to go like get alcohol because his son drinks and he was going to make like this thing for his friends. And um, like he, his son just like totally like spaced on it. He was like, Oh dad, aren't you going to come in? And he's like, I ain't going in there. Nope. And he said to me, he goes, I can't go in there. Like I can't. And so there's, and knowing those limits are really powerful. I can go into a liquor store, no problem. I can go behind a bar, no problem. I can be a bartender, no problem. Now it's less appealing now that I've been out of it for such a long period of time. It's that I was like, whoa, what was I thinking? You yeah. know, like I think yeah. about like, but, I, and also, I mean, I got a felony. Like I, I tried to get a normal job and couldn't. So it was like, that was the only thing I could do. And you just like, I don't recommend that. A lot of people don't. My family thought I was nuts. They were like, there's no way you shouldn't work in a restaurant. Like, what are you doing? And it was fine for me. Like it didn't bother me at all because I, I did the emotional stuff. So by the time I got in there, I was just, it was, I was on a different level and it was just a different playing field. But I I mean, I definitely don't recommend it, but my husband's family literally doesn't drink. Yeah. I wouldn't even go, I wouldn't even go into the comedy clubs again until I had nine months sober. mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't want to even do stand up again until I had nine months sober. I practiced stand up talking at podiums and AA meetings, making people laugh that way, but I wasn't going to go into a club. And do stand up until I, I literally on my nine month, you know, sober anniversary, I <clears throat> went to court that morning for, you know, being arrested in the addiction. And then I went straight from court an hour and a half to the comedy club to perform <clears throat> that night with my nine month chip that I picked up that, that morning. So, but it was 
completely different being there sober the first time and being in that environment again the first time where I said to myself, I am glad that I waited nine months. You know, not that I think it would have triggered me to drink earlier, but I think it could have triggered me to get high. Yeah. You know, and it's not like I was buying drugs at the club. I wasn't. I wasn't even doing drugs with anybody at the club. But I would get high in my car before I would go in there. I would sniff pills before I walked in. I would go into the bathroom and sniff pills, you know. So it still was a kind of a trigger in place just to be in in general. Right now I'm in the planning of starting the comedy club where I live, which is nowhere near where I used to get high. So it would be yeah. – and the comedy club, if I was to do it, it's not going to be alcohol consumption. I would allow cannabis consumption. That's it. Yeah. Um, just because I don't want to deal with a bunch of fucking alcoholics and a yeah. bunch of drinkers when I'm when I'm sober. Yeah. <laughs> so no like I, I'm not gonna deal with the and we're in a college town, so like I'm not gonna deal with a bunch of drunk college kids and I'm not drunk. No way. I'll end up drinking over that shit. Um, what state are you? Can I ask what state you're in? Because good. Sure. Um, we live in Connecticut. Okay. Now, you do you guys have like in Jersey where I'm from? You know, there's not beer inside convenience stores or gas stations. So but... there's no beer inside that. They do, they have put some things inside the grocery stores for certain times, uh, but that's it. They've not really gotten to a place where they're inside, like, everywhere. Like, I that, went, yeah, okay. Yeah, I went to New Hampshire this past weekend and literally was in a grocery store that had like there was just alcohol like down all these aisles and I was like oh man I wasn't prepared for this like yeah, I, didn't I, know I this was gonna be in here <laughs> I was in in my snap history it popped up the other day I was in Chicago a few years ago and I was in a CVS that had Jack Daniels on an end cap in CVS oh. you know in Chicago I'm like what the fuck uh, and I remember in Massachusetts when I lived there I used to live up in um, Plymouth for a while I lived in New Bedford I lived in Plymouth I lived all around South Shore um and you could buy beer and wine at a gas station, but you couldn't buy liquor. You had to go to yeah. the, they oh. call it the packy, the package store. Um, but in North Carolina, when I lived there, because I kept moving with my addiction. When I lived in North Carolina, you would go to the ABC for liquor or for beer and wine. You had to go to a grocery store or the gas station. So, like, every state has, like, yeah. you know, so I go, different. I see the sheets. You know, that's like our biggest convenience store around us. And I go for in there for cigarettes or grab milk or some shit. And all I see is that long, yeah. you know, you know, like walk-in refrigerator of like beers. And, you know, it's it's not triggered me one time, though, to like want to yeah. drink. The I've only I've been triggered once in the last year. And it was watching, you know, the TV show Dope Sick. That, I was re I've been recently watching that. I, okay, so um, I was only – and I think it's important in a relationship when you're both sober to call out your triggers as soon as they happen. Do not let them sit in your head. That is where triggers are most dangerous. Um, triggers need to be let go of so you can fucking talk about it or else it's not good for you. Um, the, how far are you in the show? I got to the episode where they were giving the doctor the option. He gave, they gave them a, him a prescription for opiate. So I'm letting a few more episodes that like kind of pile up. 
because it's like released one week at a time, so it takes like a bit. The to... finales is Wednesday. Oh, perfect. So maybe I will start watching it and catch up. Yeah. Well, um, all, my husband all I'll and I say is, it. yeah. All, I, all I'll say then, I won't give anything away, is somebody sniffs a pill off the coffee table at one point, and when they sniff it off the coffee table, the way that they kind of sit back was really heavy, mm-hmm. and I felt it. You know, and I was laying there in bed, and I went, "Oh, there it is." And Mikey's like, "What do you?" I'm like, I, "That was a huge trigger." I was like, "That that was a huge trigger." Holy shit! Like, I had to pause it for a second, and I said to her, "I know that feeling all too well." The most common thing that I would do would be sniff off a coffee table and fall back into a comfortable couch. I know that feeling more than almost anything, and that is extremely triggering. And she's like, do you want to get high? And I was like, no, no. And I think it's because I said it out loud. Yeah. You know, I think it's because I told you what it was doing to me right. and how and the why, and that made it real. And I, I have no urge to get high because I know where it'll take me. But if I didn't say shit to her, and I was watching that alone, our disease can get the best of us. I can be like, I wonder who would mail me pills. <laughs> yeah, you, you know? Yeah. You know? And that's what happens with this. And if we're not careful, I mean, it can take, it's taken, um, pills are dangerous, man. Dax Shepard. Yeah. Talk about somebody with amazing sobriety. I mean, the dude, talk about podcast presence. Yeah. I mean, like, I love armchair. You know what I mean? I love his podcast. And last September, when he was like, hey, 17 years sober, relapsed, Mm -hmm. you know, starting over. You know, that was extremely emotional, but I get it, you know. And he's somebody who's like Mr. Program and Mr. Talk About It and get it out there. But you notice when he relapsed, he even said it like I wasn't talking. Yep. I stopped talking about it. I stopped talking about the things that were getting in my mind. And that that's what happens. You have to talk about this shit. Because, you know, the cliche that you never heard in the rooms is our disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups waiting for us. And it really is. You know, especially I think that this the counting days is helpful, but it's extremely hurtful. I agree with that. You know, because say I relapse and and I did technically with drinking, right? If I had already already had a problem with counting days to begin with, I had already had this thought in my mind before I relapsed. So luckily that awareness helped me to not completely spiral. But I see it all the time when people, they have a small relapse, a blip, it's nothing. They barely even drank, but it was a relapse. Now that their day is at zero, they say, okay, before I come back to the rooms and go to day one again, I'm going to go get a high real quick with my drug of choice and what that was. And then a year later, they might overdose four times and finally make it back to the rooms because they're court ordered. You know, and and if if it was a thing of where I said to you, hey, man. That one day is going to be nothing in seven years where you're going to have 10 years sobriety because with one day of fucking up, 
right. and you're and you're gonna look back at that day and say, ah, oh, that was nothing. I just had a rough day, and it is what it is. Because look at my last ten years. I've had one day where I drank in ten years. And when you can have that kind of mindset looking into it, you can feel a lot better. I had that mindset about my nine months, you know, where I can look back and say, I've been in recovery for three and a half years and I'm clean and sober for 20 months because I did drink, but not alcoholically. And I didn't lose anything in that time. And what I did gain was more of an appreciation for why I need to quit drinking. You know, it takes what it takes. So... I'm glad you're able to sit down and chat and, you know, yes, I, I will put all your links in the description awesome. of the episode. So people will be able to go to your TikTok. Thank you so much. This is really so, fun. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And have a great day. You too. Bye. Right, bye.